Well, it costs a lot to grow food. We talk about this a lot. I mean, this affects a lot of the issues that we, we cover on this program. Farming. It's very expensive to farm. And at the same time, it's not getting any more lucrative on the, on the plus side of the column. So that margin, as they call it in between, is razor thin for so many folks. And we already see, you know, an increase of farms going out of business because that razor thin margin uh, disappears to zero or, or negative. And they, they just can't do it anymore. What's one of the probably the number one thing driving the expense of growing food here in the United States and here in Washington state is labor. And labor is very expensive. Of course, people in other parts of our economy know all about labor pressures now too, especially after what we've gone through with the pandemic. Um, but farming and its labor shortage has predated that by quite some time. This has been building. It's only getting worse year after year. Uh, it's something we've talked about here on the program where some activists out there even deny that there's a later labor shortage, which is laughable, um, but uh, also challenging when they start playing around um, doing fuzzy math with the numbers. Welcome to the Farming Show this morning here on KGMI. Uh, I'm Dylan Honkoop, and you know, what's driving, what's making labor so expensive? Labor shortage for sure, but there are some other factors. And, and right now, a, a group, uh, the National Council of Agricultural Employers is uh, petitioning the acting Department of Labor Secretary to change uh, basically a formula of how they determine what wages are for guest workers. Now, hold on. This isn't just going to be about guest workers. Just, just stay with me on this. This affects more than just guest workers, but it starts there. It starts with that program, the H-2A guest worker program. We've talked a lot about this on the show, a lot about um, the controversies surrounding it, the false narratives that activists have pushed against this, their ulterior motives in union building and why they don't like this program. So they call it all sorts of awful, terrible things. Joining us right now with the National Council of Agriculture Employers is their president and CEO, Michael Marsh, welcome to the program this morning. So talk about this, the methodology that our federal government is using to determine the floor, the, the minimum wage, the adverse effect wage rate specifically for guest workers, which they're saying um, by uh, default needs to be higher than the average wage out there because there needs to be an incentive. They want employers to have an incentive um, not to hire guest workers if there are any other domestic workers available. So they're saying the wage has to be higher you're saying there's a problem here and it's actually artificially inflating wages up and up and up. What's happening here, Michael? Hey, Dylan. Thanks for the opportunity. And you're exactly correct. Unfortunately, the wage rate that is utilized by the Department of Labor isn't really a wage that you find uh, anywhere in the marketplace for agricultural labor anywhere in the world. Uh, the Department of Labor uses a, um, a byproduct of the Farm Labor Survey that uh, comes from USDA uh, to go ahead and determine the most of those wage rates uh, for workers uh, under the H-2A program. And of course, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, it doesn't matter if you're using the H-2A program or not, you're going to be paying a higher wage rate as a result of the Department of Labor's misuse of this data from the, uh, from the Department of Labor. 
uh, the, the, I, I, actually, our organization has sued the Department of Labor a couple of times on this this issue. We've also petitioned them in the past to try to take a look at their their methodology because uh, for for establishing these wage rates. And I'll give you just a kind of an uh, insight as to how this and part of the reason for this. Under the H-2A program, uh, they're trying to prevent an adverse effect on domestic workforce due to the employment of H-2A workers. Well, that's really uh, it's it, it, that's really not occurring, and that hasn't been occurring for quite some time. And as a consequence of that, of course, what has occurred is that they've uh, defaulted to misuse of the USDA's farm labor survey and, and a byproduct of that survey, which is supposed to be used uh, to count the number of workers in the United States, not as a wage discovery mechanism, for a temporary ag labor program. But unfortunately, the misuse of that data by the Department of Labor continues to drive wage rates up and up and up uh, for farmers and ranchers across the country. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the coming wage rate in Washington State for this coming year is going to be $19.25. $19.25 an hour uh, for those employees. And that, that doesn't even take into account the, the cost of, of bringing the workers into the country and then sending them back home after they've been here. It doesn't take into account the, the, the cost of the housing that the employer has to provide, the visa costs and subsistence while the worker is waiting for his visa in a foreign country uh, that the employer also has to pay, or the provision of three meals a day and or uh, convenient cooking facilities for the workers within the housing. Now, it doesn't take any of those added costs in, into consideration. And for most employers, that's probably another $7 or, or so an hour, which drives your cost up to $26.25. And if you're in one of these uh, jurisdictions, unfortunately, that is apparently um, the legislature, you know, disconnected again from, from farming and ranching, has Im imposed an uh, overtime uh, on, on the, 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 farm, uh, the right. farm workers it, 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 to their objection, uh, then, then of course uh, that gets factored in here as well too. And, and it, it's just, uh, we're headed for a calamity in rural America. Uh, and this has got to be taken, uh, taken care of. Well, it, it, it's becoming impossible for some folks to grow food in the United States. It's just too expensive, particularly when we're in a global marketplace where so many other countries, and we can get into this, other countries are, you know, all, almost universally paying lower wages to one degree or another, and some of them abysmally low wages. Um, and, and they're producing the same kind of food with the technology, the transportation, the shipping, the logistics that we have now. A lot of those food products grown elsewhere are replacing what we're, we're, we can grow in the United States because we just simply can't compete with the price point that they can, they can produce it for. And it's no one, I mean, our, our big grocery chains, for instance, are they going to turn down a lower price for a similar product? Now, I'll always advocate for American-grown food, uh, whatever it is. I, I think we do a better job growing any kind of food you can think of than just about anywhere in the world, aside from a few niche uh, specialty markets. I mean, we we do an amazing job. We have a huge, uh, extensive regimen of regulations, unrivaled just about anywhere as well. So here we have this situation where all these good things are happening, but it's not uh, it's not sustainable to do anything more 
Um, and as you mentioned, Michael, and I mentioned as well, what we're talking about here isn't just about guest workers, even though with worker shortages, a lot of people are saying, okay, first, it's not possible for me to grow food here unless I have people to help me do it. If I just have to rely on the people available locally, there aren't enough people to do it anymore. Uh, with the demographic changes, you know, sea changes that are happening in this country over long periods of time. Um, so then, oh, the alternative is very expensive as you just listed all the additional costs, not to mention all the extra inspections and regulations uh, on top of so many different things that folks have to face if they enroll and use the guest worker program to bring folks from other countries who don't want to make those um, abysmally low minimum wages in, in their home countries often and want to come here and, and, you know, do a lot better for themselves working on farms here. Um, and now they're pricing because of how this works. Their folks are getting priced out of that. And because how, of how it works, it's having an adverse effect actually the other way on the farmer um, to be able to even hire any domestic workers that are available, which they're required to do, because it becomes the de facto minimum wage. If workers are making X wage at one farm, the farm down the road, they aren't going to get any workers for any less than that, right? No, you're you're exactly correct. And, and today, more than sixty percent of the fresh fruit we consume in the United States is is produced by our foreign competition, and more than forty percent of the fresh vegetables. And every year, those numbers tick up as more and more of our food production is coming from our foreign competition. And one of the drivers, and probably the biggest driver from that, is of course the wage rate that employers have to pay in the United States, at driven unfortunately by this uh, Department of Labor misuse of data uh, from. The farm labor survey. When we look at Washington State, and the, as of January one, the minimum wage for under this program is going to be nineteen twenty-five an hour in Washington State. If you just go across the border to British Columbia, and instead of growing your cherries or your blueberries or your apples, just across the border, the minimum wage you'll have to pay up in, in British Columbia is going to be eleven dollars and fifty-eight cents. Or uh, if you're growing uh, your cucumbers or your your uh, uh, blueberries or your asparagus in Mexico, mm -hmm. your wage rate. It's going to be about a dollar fifty an hour. Now that's of course what California is competing with with a new wage rate right. as of January one of nineteen seventy five. Well, our, our like you said, our asparagus here in Washington, our blueberries, our raspberries in a, in a roundabout way are competing with, the, and the list could go on and on. Um, and not just Mexico. I mean, you talk about blueberries, an explosion of production of fruit coming in from Peru, for instance, and other parts around this global marketplace. It, it, pretty soon. With these, I mean, folks that, that push for these kinds of ideas say, well, we need to provide people a living wage. That's one of the talking points that is out there. But again, it has to be done. And that's where we say, well, you know, the global marketplace, they're saying they would probably counter and say, well, just because other countries pay people a pittance doesn't mean that we should underpay people here. But there are still these economic realities that when we get to the point, I think, where we're approaching now, it becomes, it's, it's not feasible. It doesn't, it's not doable. It's impossible at this point for some folks to continue growing food here in the United States. Right now, Michael Marsh is with us. Uh, he's president and CEO of the National Council of Agricultural Employers here on The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. So, Michael, what, what's the, the chances of, of changing 
how the government is doing. I mean, it's, it sounds so arcane, a, you know, a wage methodology, basically a math formula and a process of surveying people and coming up with numbers as we're explaining that aren't really accurate and aren't the numbers they should be using to do what they say this process is supposed to do. But how does this get solved? What, what, what gives here? And, and wasn't this uh, uh, talked about in the previous administration um, to, to fix this? And there was a lot of blowback. Yes, there was. <clears throat> and as a matter of fact, the, the best way to get this done would be to have Congress address immigration reform. <laughs> that would, yeah. that would but, yeah. but of course, that's kind of one of those third rails of, of uh, U.S. politics that you never want to touch. Exactly. Uh, is, is immigration reform. So the Congress could do that. But absent the Congress stepping in and doing it, farmers and ranchers have to do it uh, uh, on their own. And that's why we have brought litigation against the Department of Labor on these wage rates. Uh, and at the same time, we're also petitioning. So we're trying to do it both from the, the legal standpoint, going through the, the courts, um, but also at the administrative standpoint, asking the secretary and petitioning the secretary to hold a hearing because we're confident that once that we get the economic data into the record, there will be no justification for the Department of Labor's uh, actions in the way they're calculating wage rates in the United States. Will it come down to the data or will it be a more emotional decision again about some of these larger social justice conversations that our politics seem to, to be gravitating toward right now in this country? Well, from our perspective, if, it, if indeed it is not based on the data, if it's, it's not based on the facts, then of course the secretary opens herself up once again to more litigation because any determination uh, she makes in absence of any facts supporting that determination uh, from a from a hearing, an economic hearing, uh, will, would be arbitrary and capricious and violative of the Administrative Procedures Act. So we believe that we have an opportunity here, of course, to have the secretary do what's right, and absent that, opening up another door for us to hopefully have the have the courts uh, tell the secretary what the law is. Again, Michael Marsh is with us right now. He's president and CEO of the National Council of Agricultural Employers here on The Farming Show on KGMI. I am Dylan Honkoop with Save Family Farming. Glad you're here with us this morning. So, Michael, um, how long does this take? W when could when could anyone even see any relief? I, I, I would imagine at this point, and again, 1925. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of farmers don't even know that that, that is the, the new um, AWER, the adverse effect wage rate that's been announced by the federal government for Washington state for people participating in the H-2A program, which as we just explained a couple of moments ago, becomes essentially in a lot of places the de facto minimum wage for agriculture because of the competitive labor market that exists. How soon until anyone gets relief? I, I don't see that number going back down ever, do we? Again, I'm going to say that depends, and and the timing of this could depend as well, because we've got we've we've had um, a motion for preliminary injunction that we brought in the Middle District of Florida in in federal district court to stop this new wage rate uh, methodology that uh, that the Department of Labor just recently implemented last spring. 
And and so if we're successful with that that uh, motion preliminary injunction, then of course a district court judge could stop it. It could stop it tomorrow. Uh, but unfortunately, that we have not seen uh, the the court take that action yet. And but of course, if the court would rule against us, uh, the district court would rule against us, then we would of course have an opportunity to take it up to the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals because the Middle District of Florida sits within the Eleventh Circuit, and the Eleventh Circuit has been a very employer friendly uh, circuit court of appeals um, uh, for. Us. But absent that, or absent that determination from the court, we're trying everything we can to try to get this wage rate uh, in some kind of alignment with what the marketplace really is for agricultural wages in 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 the United. Well, not just in the United States, but yeah. around the world. We have to be competitive, and if and if the government regulation is going to make us non-competitive with foreign competition, then then they need to get out of the way and let farmers and ranchers do their jobs because they'll do it. You know, we played a soundbite here on this program. And by the way, Dylan Honkoop here with Save Family Farming, talking with Michael Marsh with the National Council of Agricultural Employers. Um, a couple of weeks ago on, on the program, I played a soundbite of a pretty extreme activist, labor activist in Olympia, um, talking about, well, they were talking specifically about uh, time and a half overtime that's uh, in the middle of, well, just about completely phased in here in Washington state for farm work, um, phasing out essentially the long time uh, since the 1950s uh, exemption for farm work uh, from time and a half overtime pay, which as we've mentioned many times here on the program is actually causing workers to make a lot less money because farms just simply cannot afford to pay 50% more for a significant portion of their labor cost. That's already about as high as they could possibly manage and stay out of the red. This activist was claiming um, farmers need to buck up and just pay the additional amount for the overtime. Um, and his, his argument was farmers, even while they've had all these additional costs from overtime, additional costs from the uh, skyrocketing AWER, uh, and so many other factors are still, in his words, quote unquote, reaping or, or making record profits. And, you know, I mentioned that to you just before we came on the air here this morning, Michael, you laughed and, and I laughed when I saw that too. Of course, it was kind of an angry laugh on my part because we know it's a bald faced lie. Farmers are just barely hanging on right now. The, the margins are so razor thin. Again, he was making that claim, as we explained, and Pam Lewison with Washington Policy Center was on the air with me when we played that clip. He was referring to the gross numbers. And yeah, the gross numbers of what people are bringing in uh, are record highs, uh, but their costs are also at record highs, even higher. So guess what? They're making the same or less than they were the year before. <laughs> it's crazy to think that people should just be able to pay this when 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 does this stop what gives you know from from the perspective of of again the, the social justice conversations that's been going on agriculture is not sustainable if the farmer or rancher can't make a dollar every now and again and unfortunately, uh, some of this activism we're seeing, uh, not just in Washington State, but across yeah. the United States, uh, is, is, is hindering our ability to feed our population. That's a national security yeah. issue. You know, as you were, as you were talking um, about this overtime issue, just, just imagine the difference in the cost profile of, of an apple picked at $19.25 an hour 
versus time and a half, which would be $28.88. Right. I, you know, there's no margin. There's no margin in 1925. Why would somebody think there's a, a, any margin at all at, uh, at $28.88? That, it, it's, it's a catastrophe coming at, at rural America, and it has to be changed. It's scary because this we could be at a, a, a very serious tipping point for growing food. As you said, I think a lot of people see the environmental benefits of growing food here. Certainly the, the human rights benefits, since we have a better regulated, better protected workforce than just about anywhere in the world. Uh, again, environmental benefits. Um, if it's animal agriculture, we lead in terms of safeguards for you know animal rights and, and avoiding animal. There's so many fronts on which loss of agriculture, loss of growing food from this country, which is what this is forcing, is actually a negative thing for all of those values that the public has, even in, within the social justice realm. We have uh, just a few seconds left here, Michael, but uh, you know, as in overtime, and ultimately even with this AWER, this hiking, skyrocketing um, minimum wage for, for guest workers, at some point, it ends up hurting the workers themselves because those those jobs are just going to go away if it's not feasible to do it anymore. That's exactly right. We've got <clears throat> we've got farmers and ranchers right now in the Midwest that I know are, are leaving their operations where uh, previously they've been growing uh, uh, more labor intensive uh, crops yep. like uh, uh, vegetables and that type of thing yep. under a circle, and th instead they're moving to to grow uh, other crops that yep. uh, that you can harvest by combine um, or uh, from atop a tractor. Yep. And 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 there's just so much value uh, in in retaining that food production in the United States. And I hope that some of the folks uh, um, that might be in, in some of the more metropolitan areas kind of catch a clue about what's going on on the farm and the ranch, because pretty soon they're not going to have any farmers or ranchers uh, providing them with food in the United States. The scary prospect. Uh, again, with the National Council of Agricultural Employers joining us this morning, their president and CEO, Michael Marsh, here with us on The Farming Show. Michael, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for your advocacy and uh, keep up the good work. I think we'll probably have to check back in for an update as we go because this is a serious situation. Happy to do so.